Welcome to Cleveland Cynic Podcast, where we take a good hard look at today's world and figure out what to do about it. Because no one is coming to save us, we're all we have. And now, the Cleveland Cynic. It's becoming increasingly obvious that the public education system in the U.S. is being dismantled bit by bit. School vouchers, privatized charter schools, book bans, personal pronoun bans, gender identity bans, religious indoctrination. It's all designed to take the education of children, yours and mine, and put it in the hands of people who may not make it their top priority. People who want your children and my children to learn what they want them to learn, whether it's factual or not. Teach them that slavery was beneficial to the enslaved. Teach them that there was a worldwide flood 4,000 years ago that wiped all but eight humans off the earth. Teach them that what they are feeling about their bodies is wrong. Teach them whatever they want to teach them because you, as the child's parent, have no say in the matter if you want your child to attend that school or any school. If public state-funded schools disappear, we'll be left with for-profit schools that will teach them whatever they're being paid to teach them. Capitalism as an education model. Imagine having to shop around for which school to send your child to. You'll have to do it the same way you shop for a car or a TV. You'll have to weigh up all the options. What histories do they teach? Will science be taught at all? Can we afford it? Public school has always been vital to the success of this country. The founders knew that. That's why they made state funding of public schools a provision for newer states joining the union. They knew that a well-educated electorate would only strengthen the fabric of democracy. As access to education erodes, so does public involvement in government. And as public involvement erodes, conservative government expands. Education leads to enlightenment. Enlightenment leads to questioning, and thereby threatening their authority. Questioning their authority leads to removing their power, and they can't handle that. Public education has been the bedrock of society in this country by creating and maintaining a commonality among its citizens. It's a basic human right for people to earn a quality education. An educated public is a more engaged and contributive public. The more we know, the more we're capable of. And that may be at the root of the issue. Conservative bigots have been going after public schools since desegregation. See Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. The very idea that non-white students could attend the very same schools as white students was an abomination to their still-salty-about-that-whole-Civil-War-thing values and a threat to their presumed, see white, supremacy. To think, it only took 90 years to get there. Then there was the removal of state-sanctioned prayer in public schools. That would be Engel v. Vitale, 1962. That ruffled some feathers among the evangelical set. And since evangelical and conservative bigot are often used to describe the same people, they've been trying ever since to rid the country of liberal bias beginning in school. Fast forward to 2020 and the COVID-19 pandemic. Schools were forced to close to reduce the spread, and children were forced to learn remotely over the Internet. Parents were upset because now their source of child care was taken away, forcing some of them to have to quit their jobs to stay home with the kids. That gave way to hybrid learning, some days at home, some days in class. Of course, the in-class days meant kids wearing masks. Oh, the horror! The kids didn't mind the masks nearly as much as their parents. The anti-mask crowd descended upon school board meetings like flies on shit, screaming their full heads off, unmasked of course, about how masks were tyranny. The conservative bigots saw their opportunity. 
Enter Moms for Liberty, or as I like to call them, the minivan Taliban. In the fall of 2020, Brevard County, Florida, school board member Tina Deskovich, because of course Florida, lost her board seat to former district employee Jennifer Jenkins. Voters seemed to like Jenkins' platform of higher teacher wages and not banning masks better than Deskovich. So, like the cul-de-sac Karen she is, Deskovich, along with Tiffany Justice and Bridget Ziegler, yes, that Bridget Ziegler, formed Moms for Liberty, a right-wing fascist political club, and started recruiting via Facebook where they knew that board soccer moms would see it. Then they started invading school board meetings with the instructions, it doesn't matter what you say, just say it loud. You might get an interview on Tucker Carlson. As their notoriety grew, so did their backing and influence. Soon, Ron Boots DeSantis was talking about them, and Fox News and OAN and Newsmax. Hell, their national public debut was on Rush Limbaugh, for fuck's sake. The bake sale brown shirts screeched about the, quote, gay and trans agenda indoctrinating their children, and critical race theory hurting their sensitive white nationalist fee-fees, and they got louder. Soon, they were being elected to school boards with the power to affect their school's curriculum. They started banning the teaching of diversity, books having to do with LGBTQ issues, African-American studies, anything that might intrude on their fragile white Christian nationalist sensibilities. One of the founding harpies said, quote, we don't co-parent with the government, unquote. Here's the problem with that ideology. They're complaining that the government is indoctrinating your kids. Wrong. The government sets standards of education for public schools that they are expected to meet. Teachers encourage students to ask questions, questions that lead to discussion. Discussion leads to more understanding of the subject and each other. Indoctrination, by definition, is the process of teaching a person or group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically and without question, like the church. By removing access to material about and forbidding discussion of any information you don't like and forcing your views and values on others, you're doing the exact same thing you were accusing the schools of doing. Propaganda at its most basic. Thankfully, in the 2023 special elections, 60% of the Klan to Karen Hood candidates lost, including one twatsy on the Central Bucks School Board and five assholes with casseroles on the Penn Ridge Board, both in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, near and dear to my heart. Betty Crackers also lost in Virginia, Iowa, Alaska, Minnesota, and New Mexico. Now we just need to finish the job next time. Then there's this whole voucher or school choice situation. Ostensibly, vouchers are supposed to offer parents the ability to place their child in a school other than the one in the district they live in. The claim is that parents would get a voucher, basically a check in the amount of tax they paid to the state for public school, and they could use that voucher to enroll their child in a private or for-profit charter school if they feel their local school is underperforming or does not align with their values. Sounds like a good idea, right? Yeah, about that. That voucher is offered to all parents regardless of income. If it doesn't cover the cost of that private school's tuition, too bad. You either pay the difference or you can't use it. Therefore, most low-income families wouldn't be able to use them. In Arizona, where they have a school voucher program, 76% of those vouchers went to parents of kids who were already attending private school. Congratulations, Arizona. You're now paying for Muffy and Buffy to attend that elite school, while your kids are left with a public school whose funds are now drying up. Don't complain when the school supply list gets longer and longer and more expensive. 
This voucher system steals money and resources from public education and it promotes exclusivity. It allows taxpayer money to go to schools that are not held to public accountability. Who's deciding what these schools teach? Wealthy donors and their private board of directors. Want your child to learn the truth about slavery? Good luck with that. If that truth offends the sensibilities of someone on that board, that lesson is out. And then there's standardized testing. Conservatives have been using standardized testing to control and punish schools and teachers. They create the standard, and if schools are not performing to their ridiculous standards, they pull funding or simply fire teachers. This creates a great amount of stress on educators who have to spend more time on reaching these testing goals and less time on teaching your children how to learn and instilling them with the hunger for knowledge, which is what most teachers strive for in the first place. Standardized testing eliminates creativity, compassion, and critical thinking. Sounds pretty indoctrinating to me. What I do know is that good schools make for great neighborhoods. Good public schools raise property values. Diverse public schools create diverse viewpoints. Kids who feel accepted in school are happier. Happier kids learn better. Happier kids are less likely to bring an AR-15 to school and kill 20 of their classmates. What's the solution to that? Liberals and progressives need to get involved. We need to go to those school board meetings and not allow ourselves to be shouted down. Stand up to Mary KKK. Remind your school board members that your taxes pay their salaries, and we have the numbers to vote them out. Just ask Penridge. And if you encounter any PTA poll pots that are unhappy with the education that public schools offer, remind them of another Supreme Court case from 1972, Wisconsin v. Yoder, where it was decided that Amish families were not required to send their children to school past the eighth grade because it went against their, quote, sincerely held religious beliefs. Just pull them out and make them churn butter or something. <laughs> I find your lack of faith impressive. Most impressive. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Cleveland Cynic Podcast. I'm your host, J.D. On this show, we believe in and will fight for women's rights, BIPOC rights, LGBTQ rights, health care, equality, etc. Funding for public schools, keeping the church out of public schools. I am a strong proponent of the separation of church and state, and I believe that freedom of religion also means freedom from religion. I started this show to lend my voice to the small but growing grassroots coalition of liberal commentators on the internet and in the media. Conservative anti-liberal media is backed by big money donors and businesses, but liberal media is much, much smaller. The closest thing we have to a Fox News or a Newsmax or OAN is MSNBC, Democracy Now!, and the Young Turks on the more progressive end. The rest of us are out here doing social media, blogs, and podcasts on our own dime. But we're here. We have to do something to combat the rise of extremism. If my little show can change 100 minds, or 10, or even one, then it will have been worth it. That being said, let's get to the news. In the grand scam of things news, the Federal Trade Commission filed a lawsuit against Grand Canyon University, its marketing firm, and former parent company Grand Canyon Education, and its chief executive Brian Muller on December 28th, charging that the nation's largest Christian university engaged in deceptive advertising and illegal telemarketing. And as you might expect, the Christian Persecution Patrol is sounding the alarm. 
The SEC claims that GCU misled thousands of students about the cost of its doctoral programs. While GCU says the total cost of the accelerated doctoral programs was equal to the cost of 20 courses, or 60 credits, in reality, according to the FTC, 98% of students were required to take five or six additional continuation courses, adding thousands of dollars to the total cost for some and leading others to drop out of the program altogether. The suit also claims that GCU has been advertising itself as a, quote, not-for-profit university since 2018 in order to lure prospective marks, I mean students, who might be looking for that in their education. Nonprofit status would entitle the school to federal aid, which records show it took in 2020 and 2021 during COVID in excess of $1 billion. GCE fully owned GCU until 2018, when GCE released ownership of GCU in exchange for 60% of the school's revenue, which makes all of it a cash grab for Mueller and GCE's shareholders. GCE is traded publicly on NASDAQ as well as five other markets in Germany. The FTC also alleged that GCU used GCE's marketing arm to make, quote, abusive telemarketing calls in an effort to increase enrollment by advertising online, asking prospective students to send contact information digitally, and then using that information to, quote, illegally contact people who have specifically requested not to be called. The FTC's suit quotes a 2018 interview in which Grand Canyon University CEO Muller said marketing the business as a nonprofit, quote, is a tremendous advantage. We can recruit in high schools that would not let us in in the past. We're just 90 days into this, but we're experiencing, we believe, a tailwind already just because of how many students didn't pick up the phone because we were for profit. GCU denies that it cold-called prospective students, and that its calling practices were the same as those at thousands of educational institutions. The lawsuit comes after the U.S. Department of Education fined GCU $37.7 million in October for the same issue of misrepresenting the cost of its doctoral programs. GCU has denied any wrongdoing and appealed the ED's fine, arguing that it is being unfairly targeted by the government agencies because it's Christian-based. There's your persecution complex. The university said in a statement, quote, given the major problems that exist in higher education, it is baffling that the federal government has chosen to target a Christian university that is addressing those issues in very positive ways. No other institution in higher education is facing this level of government scrutiny, which speaks volumes about these agencies' motivations and agenda. Well, that's not true. Since in 2019, the FTC filed a class action suit against 70 so-called for-profit universities over the same practices, including all the ones you see advertised on TV like Capella, DeVry, Strayer, and the University of Phoenix. The university also said its disclosures about the cost and average number of courses needed, quote, are more robust than other universities and are spelled out in its degree program calculator in large red type, immediately above the total estimated cost for 60 credits. So it's your fault for not reading the fine print, I guess. CEO Muller went on to say, quote, We need to fight this tyranny from federal government agencies, not only to stand up for ourselves, but to ensure this type of ideological government overreach and weaponization of federal agencies does not happen to others. This is not the first time GCU has faced legal troubles. In late 2019, two former students sued the school, alleging that recruiters committed fraud by misrepresenting whether the school's degrees would work properly in their home states. 
The students spent tens of thousands of dollars on doctoral programs, only to find out too late that GCU was not accredited in Georgia or Ohio, rendering their degrees worthless. I have never met anyone so manipulative, so deceitful, and I'm in politics. In called on the carpetbagger news, the Colorado GOP's reigning handjob champion and Sarah Palin with even less class, Lauren Boebert, will be running away from home in order to have a better grasp at winning her 2024 election. Boebert, the 36-year-old grandmother, has been in the grip of scandals and is facing stiff competition in Colorado's 3rd District, so she decided to do what any good patriot warrior would do, run in the 4th District next year instead. Lobob squeezed out a victory by just 546 votes last year in the 3rd District, but the 4th District is much more conservative-leaning, and she doesn't have to live in the 4th District to represent it. According to the Colorado Sun, Trailer Park Barbie made the announcement on Facebook after touching base with her god, her guns, and her bank account. Our Democratic challenger in District 3, Adam Frisch, has raised about three times as much money as Clanny Oakley in the current election cycle and is also leading in local polls by 2%. Maybe she should reach out to her former colleague and fellow bullshit artist George Santos and sell herself on Cameo or maybe OnlyFans. You could even give her some makeup tips. National Security Attorney Bradley P. Moss slammed the move on social media, saying, I guess Bobert decided she was just rubbing her constituents the wrong way. The race for 3rd District is already getting hot. Yosemite Samantha will have at least six GOP contenders she'll have to beat off to win the nomination. I think this carpetbagger is going to end up with some serious rug burn. You're killing me, Smalls. In blind squirrel news. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has vetoed legislation that would have barred transgender youth from receiving gender-affirming care, saying at a press conference, quote, Were I to sign House Bill 68, or were House Bill 68 to become law, Ohio would be saying that the state, that the government, knows better what is medically best for a child than the two people who love that child the most, their parents. He's so close, isn't he? Okay, Mike, now do reproductive health care. Come on, I know you can do it. Just before the holiday break, state lawmakers passed House Bill 68, legislation that would have prohibited gender-affirming care for trans and non-binary youth, including hormone blockers, hormone replacement therapy, medical or surgical procedures, and some mental health services, as well as prohibit transgender athletes from taking part in female sports. Parts of the bill that DeWine cited as troublesome were including a ban on transgender surgeries for people under 18, a requirement of reporting to state agencies, adults and children who receive transgender care, and a ban on pop-up clinics. DeWine also addressed a fallacy out there that gender-affirming care, quote, goes right to surgery. It just doesn't. About two-thirds of youth who seek counseling don't even progress to receiving medication. However, a new development as of the time of this recording shows that despite his concerns, DeWine has issued an executive order banning all gender-affirming surgery, known as top-and-bottom surgery, for trans youth under 18. The veto comes as 20 other states have passed laws against gender-affirming care for youth. The Human Rights Campaign says about 30% of transgender youth between 13 and 17 live in these states. The organization praised DeWine's veto on Twitter, saying, This is a huge win for trans youth and their families in Ohio. DeWine went on to say the people who have transitioned have told him, quote, they are thriving today because of that transition. 
that but for this care, they would have taken their life when they were teenagers. Parents have looked me in the eye and told me, but for this treatment, their child would be dead. For transgender minors and their families in Ohio, the consequences of this bill could not be more profound. Ultimately, I believe this is about protecting human life, unquote. A 2018 study published in the journal Pediatrics found that about 51% of transgender male teens and about 30% of transgender females tried to take their own lives. Transgender and non-binary youth have higher suicide rates and attempted suicide rates. The Ohio High School Athletic Association says that out of 400,000 OHSAA athletes, only 19 transgender girls have competed in high school or middle school sports in the past eight years. That includes six trans high school student athletes in the 22-23 school year alone. The veto probably won't stick. The Ohio State Legislature features a Republican supermajority that will almost certainly overturn it. The question I ask is, why? I think it's great that he did it, but he had to know that it would be overturned. That makes it sound like he's jockeying politically, but he's term limited out in 2026. He can't run for governor again, and he'll be 78 years old. He'll be too old to be considered for anything else by 28. Speaking of old and washed up, Mango Mussolini piped up on his Timu Twitter saying he won't be introducing DeWine at any more of his Trump stock traveling carnival shows anymore. He's, quote, done with this stiff. That's what Melania said. He's the only professor I like. I know. Mr. Jennings is a wonderful teacher. Mm. Now, teaching's a way of paying the rent until I finish my novel. How long have you been working on it? Four and a half years. Must be very good. Piece of shit. Anybody like to smoke some pot? In Cooking with Ass news, the University of Wisconsin at La Crosse has terminated their 63-year-old chancellor, Joe Gao, after discovering online porn videos he made with his wife. University President Jay Rothman said the school had, quote, learned of specific conduct by Dr. Gao that has subjected the university to significant reputational harm. His actions were abhorrent. Board of Regents President Karen Walsh said the ex-chancellor had, quote, shown a reckless disregard for the role he was entrusted with. The outrage over his behavior is evidenced by the unanimous vote by the UW Board of Regents to terminate him as chancellor. We are alarmed and disgusted by his actions, which were wholly and undeniably inconsistent with his role as chancellor, unquote. In his defense, Gao told CNN he was being punished over pornographic videos he made with his wife without receiving, quote, due process. And the, quote, books and videos my wife and I have produced are protected under the First Amendment. They never said what policy I violated, and also there was no hearing, unquote. Gao said when he was appointed chancellor, he signed an employment agreement, but he recalls no code of conduct. Quote, it did say, quote, set a good example, and I think that's what I'm doing with my wife, setting a good example regarding freedom of expression and free speech. We are making videos that are not violent, not ex- exploitative. We all should be deeply troubled that the Board of Regents is overlooking the fact that the books and videos my wife and I have produced are protected under the First Amendment as well as the Regents' own commitment to academic freedom and freedom of expression. Gao and his wife, Carmen Wilson, had made pornographic videos for years and had recently decided to release them more widely on porn websites. The couple said they never mentioned the university or their jobs. Here's the thing, Professor. The First Amendment prevents censorship, interference, and restraint by the government for the free and public expression of opinions. What it does not prevent 
is censorship, interference, and restraint by your employer. Look, I'm all for a couple of consenting adults who feel free enough to express their love and sexuality in a public way. By all means, do it. But when you're an employee of an organization and in a public-facing upper management role, you're not just fucking your wife for the world to see. Now you've got your entire board of directors sitting in the corner of the room rubbing one out. Don't be so shocked. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. And in parental rights and lefts news, Clarice Schillinger is a former candidate for Pennsylvania lieutenant governor and current head of a parental rights pack. She is also an anti-masker, gun nut, and full-fledged maggot. What she is not is a good parent herself. She, along with her mother and now ex-boyfriend, are currently facing multiple criminal charges after allegedly furnishing her 17-year-old daughter's friends with alcohol and punching several of them in the face. According to police, it was the second time in five days they had been called to Schillinger's home in the Philadelphia suburb of Doylestown, where they found roughly 20 minors at an underage drinking party, some as young as 15. The affidavit states, quote, Schillinger not only provided the alcoholic beverages, including New Amsterdam vodka and Malibu Bay rum, but poured shots and drank along with the minors, even participating in drinking games like beer pong. New Amsterdam? Really? It was too cheap for even Smirnoff. Schillinger, who glowingly called Donald Trump, quote, sharp as a tack, after she met him last year at Mara Loser, will fight the case, according to her lawyer, who stated, quote, Miss Schillinger has dedicated her life to public service. Additionally, she has always been a law-abiding citizen. Let's put a pin in that, shall we? Miss Schillinger looks forward to the opportunity to defend against these allegations. Allegations that she is blaming on her ex-boyfriend, Wilson. Emergency dispatch data obtained by local media shows police have been called to Schillinger's residence at least four separate times since the spring. Cops were called to the address on September 24th, the weekend prior to this incident, and responding officers that night had found multiple beer cans on the property and approximately 20 minors that fled from the house upon police arrival. The affidavit states, quote, On that date, Schillinger was intoxicated and uncooperative with police. Then in the midnight hour of Friday, September 29, 2023, officers were again dispatched to this same residence for a noise complaint involving intoxicated subjects. Finally, about three hours later, police received a call from the mother of a 16-year-old boy who had been assaulted at Schillinger's rented home. The boy, identified in the affidavit as A.M., told police that Schillinger had thrown a party to celebrate her daughter's 17th birthday, and about 15 to 20 kids ranging in age from 15 to 18 had shown up between 9.30 and 10. Schillinger directed all of the minors to stay in the basement where a bar area was stocked with alcoholic beverages. Things went sideways at some point after midnight, as they so often do. Wilson, the now ex-boyfriend, got drunk and punched a 15-year-old boy in the face after an argument about football, then went up to the main floor where he grabbed A.M.'s throat when he got between Wilson and Schillinger, who were now fighting. Then Schillinger's intoxicated mother got into the act, punching A.M. in his left eye. She then chased A.M. around the kitchen before assaulting a 17-year-old female. This portion of the evening was recorded on two separate phones. At this point, the kids clustered by the front door trying to leave. Schillinger didn't want them to leave, so she did what any sane, responsible parents' rights activist would do. She punched a 15-year-old three times in his face. 
in true tough guy fashion that 15-year-old said he wasn't hurt. The 36-year-old Schillinger mounted an unsuccessful run for lieutenant governor in 2022, finishing fourth out of nine candidates in the GOP primary. She was one of those anti-lockdown harpies during COVID, going so far as to create a political action committee called Back to School PA that has since become, as she said last December, quote, more focused on these woke and gender ideas, unquote. Currently, her PAC is waging war on, quote, liberal teachers unions and special interest groups that are responsible for indoctrinating our children, unquote. Schillinger was charged with simple assault, harassment, and furnishing liquor to minors. Wilson and Burt pleaded guilty to charges of disorderly conduct, engaging in fighting earlier this month. Schillinger is scheduled to appear in court for a preliminary hearing on January 29th. That's all the time I have for today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with more. In the meantime, tell us what you think. Tell your friends about us. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And drop us an email at clevelandcynic at gmail.com. Until next time, remember, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs>